0: I'm Duncan McLeod and this is the Tech Central podcast brought to you today by Ellie's Holdings. Now I'm joined now by Tian van der Beel who is Commercial Division Manager Blumfontein at Ellie's to talk about Ellie's solar specifically today. Welcome to the podcast Tian, how's, um, how's Blumings today?
1: Thank you very much for having me Duncan, um, Blumfontein is well, we're having piles of rain so it's not good for the solar industry but it's it's very good for the rest of us so it's, it's all good.
0: Yeah, you grow a lot of millets down in that province, so uh, I'm sure the farmers are <laughs> enjoying all the rain that's uh, hap- happening this summer. They are. No, I, I, I
1: actually met a farmer. Oh yes. Um, sorry, so actually, met a farmer last week who says he's going to take his millets out and start planting rice because of all the rain.
0: <laughs> so it's
1: it's quite interesting. Yeah. now, Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> interesting stuff. Okay, so th- thankfully, um, I know nothing about milis or uh, rice or, or growing vegetables. So, uh, and I, I do, I do kind of know a little bit about um, the tech industry and, and solar. Probably not that much, but I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to learn a few things from you today, Tian, because I'm actually, I think, like many South Africans, considering going the solar route um, at my home. Uh, it's been something I've been thinking about for a while, and uh, maybe this conversation will be the thing that finally stirs me into action. So, so let's let's talk let's talk about um, solar in the South African continent. Context. And of course, uh, we all know that uh, load shedding has has got off to a bad start this year. We know that uh, ESCOM isn't able to provide um, uh, electricity to everyone who needs it at all all times. Um, And we know the cost of electricity is going up year after year. In fact, um, it was announced just last week, I think, that uh, ESCOM's rates will be going up by more than 15% on the 1st of April. So the cost of drawing power from the grid is also escalating every year, making solar even more attractive. Um, so, Tian, business must be booming, right?
1: It is, it is. I spoke to a supplier a few weeks ago and he basically asked me, how is business doing? Mm-hmm. And we basically told him that we've, we've got one of the best marketing uh, departments uh, in our national, national electricity supplier. So when they say the tariffs go up, we sell grid tight systems, and when they say they don't have enough power, we sell battery solutions. Right. So um, we we're booming at the moment.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm absolutely sure. So Ellie's Ellie's solar. We know, I know Ellie's. It's been around. It's been listed on the JSE for decades, and it's I think it's been around for about 40 years now. Um, how long has the How long has Ellie's been in the solar business?
1: So uh, let's call it this. I've been with Ellie's now for 10 years, and for nine of those 10 years, um, I've been involved with the solar directly. So before my time, we'd already started. Uh, the first, call it Ventures into Renewable Energy, was into Lighting during 2007. Oh, yes. and, then from 2010, least, yeah, and then from 2010, Elise started um, started getting involved in other alternative solutions such as solar and, you know, s- uh, solar water heaters at some point and so on and so. But f- uh, in some way or another, since 2010, Elise has been working on solar.
0: Okay, I actually remember you guys getting into the LED uh, globe business. I think I've got a few of those LED globes around my house. Um, but um, I hope they're still working. They they're still working. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a great thing about LED lighting is you don't have to, don't have to replace it every six months. It it go, literally goes on for decades before you have to replace the light, depending on how exactly. often often you use it. Of course. Um, But I suppose this raises an interesting question. I mean, load shedding has been with us for probably a decade, if not more as well. Um, Why doesn't everyone in South Africa have solar already given the ESCOM situation?
1: So at the moment, I think there's a lot of misconceptions in the market. There's a lot of myths that exist. So people tend to be, they've got this idea that solar is extremely expensive and it's extremely expensive to try and get off the grid. And so people have been educated wrong. Uh, there's a lot of uh, more of a lot more opportunities um, in the market um, for starting small and so on nowadays and so the reason why I think most people haven't gone this route yet is because they' firstly uneducated um, in terms of the cost to get there and secondly in terms of the products that are available to them. Um, people do tend to think that it's a daunting thing to get off the grid and to get some storage going or save some electricity, but that's not the case anymore. it used to be. I'm um, speaking from experience. Definitely used to be, but nowadays it's much easier. You can start much smaller, much more affordable, and so I think that's why we're seeing this influx in, in people actually taking the steps to move away from the national supplier and away from the um, expensive electricity yeah. suppliers that they've
0: yeah. Well, let's talk about cost, because um, you know subliminally, I suppose that's the thing that's been holding me back from doing a project. Is is um, and I haven't even got quotes, but the thing that's been holding me back is this thing must be bloody expensive. How how can I afford to put solar panels all over my roof? It's going to cost me an absolute fortune. But you say that's not the case anymore. Pricing has uh, has come down. What what are we looking at? If I mean, let's say let's say I'm a, I have a medium sized house. I'm um, I'm keen to at least reduce my reliance on on Escom, particularly during the daytime. Um, What what sort of investments are we looking at? How would I approach a project like that? What should I be thinking about first?
1: So the first thing that you need to always remember is that each and every solution will be unique. So your needs will differ from the needs of your neighbor. You've already got LED lighting, which is good, but he might not have taken that step yet. And so his system will be more expensive and and he's got to have a lot more um, considerations to take. So the first step would be to go and say, listen, what is my electricity consumption? Do I know how much electricity I use per day? And do I know what appliances I need to run autonomously from my system, um, from eScom or whatever the case may be? So that's the first thing to remember is each system will be unique. Now at least our customers through this process. So what we do is if we can't uh, reach a proper estimate based on consumption per day or whatever the case may be, we put a meter into your house. We run this meter for about 10 days. Free of charge. We give you a demand profile which tells you when you use electricity, how much electricity you're using. And based on that demand profile, we can actually go and design your unique system. So, talking costs is very difficult Mm -hmm. because it will completely depend on what you're using, when you're using it, how many batteries you'll need, and and so on. Um, But that being said, with the technology in the market today, You can actually start off without solar panels. You talked about putting solar panels on your roof. If if load shedding is an issue, start without panels, start with a storage solution and make sure that if there is load shedding, you can run your your home for those two or three hours that that the grid is down. Um, And then eventually you can start adding panels. So again, a few years ago, I would have had to tell you now that you've got to purchase 12 panels to get the inverter to switch on, Mm -hmm. and you're going to need a 40 kilowatt Battery just to run it. That's not the case now. You can physically start with micro little bits, let's call it little building blocks, and build yourself up to a point where you are completely autonomous. And, and that's what makes it so exciting nowadays. Mm. So, when you do talk cost, make sure that your inverter is specified correctly from the beginning. You need to know where you want to go. Mm. And so, your inverter is a good place to start in terms of, you know, don't start with a 3.6 kilowatt if you know you're going to be ending up with a 10 kilowatt system. It's, it's going to become too many little components and so um that's the first place to start looking and then from there on we can guide you in terms of your minimum battery requirements and, and panel requirements to get the system at least off the ground to start running towards getting completely autonomous
0: so let's 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 delve a bit into a bit more detail about inverters and batteries um Often, when I speak to someone about solar solutions, they always say, well, you've you've got to determine how much battery storage you're going to need. Why can't I simply put my solar panels on my roof and feed that directly into 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 my requirements in my house uh, during the daytime when the sun is shining? Um, is, is there a need for batteries as well? I mean, obviously it's a nice to have for when the sun isn't shining, but do you have to have them as part of your solar solution?
1: Right, so not necessarily. Um, If your requirement is to just save, then you don't need batteries at all. There are technologies available that allow you to to turn your DC or your direct current directly into alternating current and then use that power as it's being generated. And so if your requirement is to save electricity, take businesses, for example, with large daytime loads, they don't need battery banks necessarily because they can save a lot of money um, just by putting grid systems in. Um, but if it then does come to the point where um, ESCOM switches off or with the national grid fails or whatever, then your system has to switch off as well. This is an international requirement and so the system has to switch off for safety requirements and so on. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning this is with the new technology, you can start with your grid type system and then you add a small battery just to keep the panels up when the, when the grid fails. So, not necessarily for consumption at night, but to keep your inverter on during the day um, if the grid fails. So, uh, just for the very technically inclined listening, especially those from our national regulator, if there are any, um, the unit, if the grid does fail, um, will open its contacts completely and it, it isolates completely from the grid. There's no chance of islanding. We can't feed back to the grid if the grid fails. But um, we can supply our loads and keep our battery full during the day using the solar. Right. If there is a battery available.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So so interesting. So I mean, obviously, if ideally you'd, you'd want some sort of ba- battery backup um, system in place uh, if you are deploying solar, s- simply because it, it's going to give you guaranteed power while those batteries have power in them. But um, there are different types right. of bat- battery in the market, of course, as well, and. Uh, Uh, I think uh, many uh, previous solar installations have been done using, um, I think they're called lead-acid batteries, those big deep-cycle batteries, um, uh, which are relatively cheap, but um, you require a a fairly large number of them, uh, depending on what you're trying to power. Now, we know that uh, the electric car industry is um, actively using lithium-ion batteries, which are the same batteries you find in your smartphone. We're much more expensive, I believe, but uh, ultimately a much smaller, neater uh, solution. Um, w- what is the current best thinking around batteries in a solar installation here in south africa should Should you be considering lithium ion over older battery technologies?
1: Definitely, definitely so the uh, the term that you used lead acid is an umbrella term for four or five different technologies within that you've got a flooded batteries, you've got your AGMs, your gel batteries, these gel agm hybrid batteries all of them are lead acid technologies and all of them are limited by the limitations that lead acid batteries bring um, that includes the fact that you can't necessarily discharge them very deeply you mm. can undertake about 40 to 50 percent out of them before you start uh, decreasing their life substantially mm. they can't operate at temperatures higher than 25 degrees um, celsius without decreasing their life substantially and so all of these type of things start to work in when you're taking your lead acid batteries as an option and so, yes, they are extremely cheap um, to, to buy once off, but you've got to overspecify them a lot, as you said, because you've, you can't take as much energy out of them. You've got to put them in a controlled environment um, so that they don't get too hot and they don't discharge too deeply. And so, in the end of the day, your lithiums do, uh, your lead acids, excuse me, do tend to uh, do themselves uh, injustice in that regard. So when you do the mathematics, uh, lithium batteries, if you've got the correct inverter installed, will give you a 10 year warranty and you can discharge the whatever. but that warranty is important because a a lead acid battery, even well maintained at a 50% depth of discharge and so on will only give you about, at the best three years of life. And so a lithium battery will give you 10. So you're gonna be replacing your lead acid battery three times before you live out the life of one lithium battery. And So we've definitely seen a massive tendency, not only residentially but commercially as well, to go to these lithium batteries because they, they offer so much more um, storage, um, storage uh, secure storage. Um, they can discharge much more um, stable. But when they do get discharged, uh, they protect themselves. It's it's a phenomenal market. The lithium market is really phenomenal, and uh, there are quite a few options available in the market. You know, yeah. um, you've got guys like. Um, yeah, you've got guys building these huge batteries, um, once-off blocks. You've got modular solutions that you can build in three or five kilowatt increments, and so the options are absolutely limitless, which is which is phenomenal for us.
0: Interesting. And how, how, what's happened with uh, the cost of lithium-ion batteries? I imagine that with all the demand from EV manufacturers to put these in in vehicles, uh, that there is that 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 supply has been tight. Have we seen pricing increasing as a result of all the the um, vehicle manufacturers bringing EVs into the marketplace or is pricing come down because of economies of scale?
1: It it seems like economies of scale is helping a lot. So the price have come down substantially over the past few years. Um, We actually did a few sums now recently for a few customers where the lead acid batteries actually worked out, initial cost worked out more than lithiums. And so you can get in a situation where lithium battery is... Very well on par with the lead assets that are available,
0: and and I guess it, a, sorry, Tian.
1: Uh, sorry, I said especially on a commercial and industrial scale. When you start going oh. for your two volt lead assets and so on, the pricing is, is extremely high when you compare it to lithium.
0: Interesting, interesting. I was um I was touring a, a local uh, data center. I, w- I won't say which one uh, the other day and um, uh, it's one of the bigger ones massive data center and uh, their, their backups are all running uh, they've got generators obviously but uh, their, their backups before the generators kick in if there's a power failure are all lead acid which which amazed me yeah <laughs> but yes it, uh, so it must it have to the
1: cycles yeah mm. Mm. correct so it comes down to the cycle so these will only work for the 30 minutes that it ta- for three minutes or five minutes or whatever that it takes to get that generator to start up after that they get charged back up again and they stand on float and so they, they very very often they're not used uh, deeply mm. and uh, you know if you interesting uh, little analogy if I may so basically the customers have gone and spent a lot of money to put put uh, a system in place that it can only use for five to 10 minutes until the gen comes in and then you know it switches back on again where with lithium options you can actually now start using your battery to generate a saving so mm-hmm. it's an interesting concept um, so you can do stuff like peak shaving for example if you've got high kva demands you can use your lithium battery with your inverter to do peak shaving mm-hmm. and so ensure that you don't go over your kva ratings and you can also do some exciting stuff like load shifting for example where you can use cheap, cheaper electricity rates during the evening, say from two o'clock in the morning up until five o'clock or whatever to charge your battery up mm. and then from five to eight run on the battery um, when you are on peak tariff from your supplier and then you, you, you in theory, paying less in that time for your electricity. So you can actually now start using your batteries to generate savings, which with lead acid is not an option at all. They cannot handle that cycling. Yeah. But on data centers and so on, the cycles are very limited. And so mm-hmm. it, they, they're a good application for that, but you can actually start saving out with lithium as yeah. well.
0: Yeah. So it sounds to me then, Tian, that your recommendation, uh, for, for a household anyway, would be if you can afford the upfront cost, then get, go lithium ion.
1: Correct. Without a doubt. Yeah, that's, that would be the only, the only way forward if it were up to me personally. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So... Um, You've been in this game for the last nine years or so Tian, um, what sort of ROI are people seeing on new installations today compared to say three or five years ago? Is that ROI window shortened?
1: It has, yeah. So on your grid systems, when we initially started a few years ago, you because of the costs that were high on your panels and so on, Um, You were looking at returns on investments of about six to seven years and um, now with most costs included you can go down to three to four years on grid side systems. Even battery systems are starting to see returns on investment in terms of eight, maybe nine years um, on residential installations and so the return on investments have definitely shortened a lot um, because the prices have come down, number one, but secondly also because the technologies now allow us to we can use our technology much better Hmm. and so because that that point we made earlier about batteries now also including to your saving, you can also incorporate that in your um in your calculations and so your return investments have come down significantly they're very very quick now
0: Hmm. now when you talk to companies as opposed to homeowners um, are you having a very different conversation um uh, I imagine the, 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 there, are, there are a lot of there's a lot of number crunching that goes on in the business environment, probably more so than in the home environment, which is probably more of an em, emotional decision with the power going off every few hours during load shedding. Um, are, are the conversations you have with businesses about going the solar route quite different?
1: They do tend to be yes. Uh, as you said, a home will usually be mad when he's speaking to you, so he'll be upset because his power went off and he couldn't see the end of the of his of his television series or whatever. And so he'll you'll make an emotive uh, decision, you're 100% right, where business owners tend to have a longer vision in in mind. So uh, they'll start off with a grid tie solution and tell you that eventually they want to add batteries or whatever the case may be. So for them, um, savings at the moment seem to be the main driver, and then the eventual goal of trying to get those savings um, into a system where you can get off-grid or more autonomous um, at the end of the day. So we've got a few systems now where we started them off as grid-tied systems, again, but we know we want to end up off-grid. And so we start with equipment that's suited to going off-grid in the end of the day, but we started them off on grid-tied systems, and then once the, let's call it the savings that they've accumulated from that system starts to pay the batteries and so on, they can actually start buying those batteries from the savings. And then eventually they can go completely off-grid.
0: Yeah. Are there are there ways though to make it easier for businesses to make the make these decisions to make the decision to go solar are there ways that they can reduce the upfront cost of de- deploying the technology
1: they are yes so uh, it's a it's a very good question that it's a question that I wish more people asked so um, there's a very simple uh, s- uh, sum that you can do so yeah. if you take for example if you use a 60 watt LED lamp of a 60 watt uh, incandescent light bulb which many really right. shops offer. Businesses are still using mm-hmm. to run that off solar. If you go and do the math, you need about a kilowatt worth of. Uh, let's run it for ten hours a night. You're going to need about a kilowatt worth of solar panels, um, which is going to cost you in excess of six or seven thousand rand, whatever the case may be. And the battery capacity to run that is hundred amp hours, so that's going to cost you another two thousand or whatever the case may be. So to run that one little lamp might cost you ten thousand rand. If you spend the twenty rand to take it from a sixty watt to a five watt that goes down to less than 200 grand. It's, it's physically a tenth of the value that you're going to be uh, spending on your solar system. So there was a basic, uh, basic uh, frac- uh, what can I call it, uh, you know, basic fraction that well, said that uh, if you've got uh, 100 watts worth of savings in the beginning you can take almost 10,000 rands off your system in the end. So for every 100 watts you can take 10,000 off. So for businesses Start by going, looking at your carbon footprint, not your carbon footprint, but your electricity usage. Start looking at your uh, lighting, um, stuff like your soft starters on your aircons, try using inverter aircons, stuff like that, and, and decrease your demand before trying to go for solar. Because in the end of the day, that will make massive savings on the system that you need to recommend in the end of the
0: day. Mm-hmm. And you make a good point there, if you've, got, uh, if you've got those old school light bulbs, you should have replaced them already because they... They're um, probably contributing a significant chunk of your electricity bill if you've if you've got those uh, hundred watt globes uh, installed around your garden, for example. So <laughs> seems like a logical great, to, logical place to, to start. Yeah. Yes. Great. Well, uh, Tion, the um, in South Africa, I know in many markets around the world, you can actually feed back power that you generate in your business or your home back into the grid um, and get paid for it. But that's not the case in South Africa, is it?
1: Not yet. Um, Well, I say that hopefully, not yet, with a lot of hope. Um, So, basically, there are areas in South Africa that do allow it. So, uh, the city of Cape Town, for example, we've got a feed-in tariff down there. Um, There are certain regulations that you've got to comply with. And we see a lot of municipalities actually taking the model that the city of Cape Town is using and and implementing it um, locally as well. So, um, I know, for example, the municipality in Kimberley, um, they do exactly the same. They've got exactly the same regulations in place. Um, that if they're trying to implement them at least. But so in in certain areas, Port Elizabeth, I know City Power up in in Gauteng, for example, they do allow you to feed back to the grid. Mm -hmm. Um, But other areas do not allow it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, There's many, many reasons for that. Um, They will always headline uh, the safety factors. You you know, you can't really regulate what the people are putting in, in terms of inverters. And so the safety factors are very, very important. But uh, at the moment, we're not there yet. A lot of municipalities, a lot of... um, it independent power suppliers, um, they cannot, they cannot uh, accept power yet. Most of them will ask you to limit your system so that you don't feed back, so they'll allow you to grow tight but not feed back to the network. Um, most of them will not pay you if you do feed back and so at the moment uh, it's, it's something the industry's been asking for for a long time, it's just some standardisation in the regulations mm. that are put in place so that we can all you know work under the same, under the same regulations and guys. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's definite signs that, uh, the, the, you know, regulators are, are starting to allow us to, to feed energy back, but at the moment this is not the case. Yeah. What I do need to add though is um, ESCOM has started allowing it in some areas, mm-hmm. you need to go through a, a regulatory um, process and there's a whole, a, a whole process that you need to follow in terms of applications and uh, licensing and so on, but it is possible and uh, yeah, Elise can help you through that process. We've got a lot of uh, people that, that we take hands with and that we partner up with, and we can definitely help you with the application going through the, um, going through the application with ESCOM and actually getting you legally attached to the grid. That's, that's what's important, it's getting that legalities right. Mm. There's a lot of people who do it. There's a lot of people who feed back to the grid illegally. Mm-hmm. It's something that's worrying to us, but um, we, yeah, from our side, we'll never feed back. Um, without without proper proper permissions.
0: Right. Interesting. It's, it sounds like the the regulator, nurser needs to uh, do a bit of um, a bit of work to get this uh, finalised and to get everyone on the same page and set out the rules that aren't going to cause any uh, um, potential impact on the national grid.
1: Right. I think from their side, they've been trying to do it for quite a while. Um, you know, they've been trying to get a registry of where the systems are, or what systems are up and running. They're so just trying to get an idea of what's actually happening on the grid, and I think they, they at the moment, not really getting the support necessarily from the local, um, from the local authorities in terms of getting that data in and, and managing that process. Um, NESA is really, from what I've, from my little bit of experience working directly with them, um, they've really been trying to push the envelope and trying to get these regulations pushed through. But it, it seems like they're getting a little bit of resistance from from areas outside. Um, the, the electricity framework, but that's another discussion for for another day.
0: Sure. Now, Tian, I wanted to yeah. um, just pick up on something you mentioned a, a minute or two ago, and that's uh, the issue of safety. Uh, I, think that, um, I think that many uh, um, South Africans, as we've already, already mentioned, uh, are put off by Perceptions of high cost of installing a solar system but um, equally i think people worry about what can go wrong particularly when it comes to protecting their safety because we are talking about electricity here but also protecting their appliances and, and computers and all that sort of thing from surges etc how, how does Ellie solar assure people um, who are worried about this aspect of things
1: okay, so the safety aspect is a very uh, very nice aspect to discuss a very important aspect as well so Ellis will never bring in a product that has not been certified for use on our grid. So you've got to have your NRS 097 uh, certificates, make sure that it is clarified to be used on our, on our grid. All, other pro- of all products will also have the international standards um, to make sure that there's no islanding, there's no switching off, uh, of no feeding back to the grid if, if the grid is not available. And so all of these standards will be applicable to any product that Elise sells. So firstly, that's the, firstly your, your product. your first place to make sure that you're safe. Purchase a product from a reputable um, supplier, uh, somewhere that you can actually find some proper data and specifications and make sure that at the end of the day, um, your product is, is certified properly. Mm-hmm. Secondly is look at who's installing the product. So the DIY market at the moment is massive. You've got people, because of the in, uh, internet of things and all the information that's available, you've got people who know uh, from reading for two or three minutes, much more than I'll ever know in my life. And so they'll phone you and start doing their own installations and so on. And and, and it's there where you start f- literally burning your fingers. Mm. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and so get a proper installer to do it, get a, get a qualified installer to do it. It's someone who's accredited. Uh, I know Sapia is offering the green card at the moment, which is it's in high regard um, in the industry. Uh, Get someone who's affiliated with the Electrical Contractors Association of South Africa. Make sure that these guys do your installation and they can give you a certificate of compliance. Otherwise, safety will become an issue and and even warranties at the end of the day will become an issue. Uh, Many suppliers, us included, will ask you to supply us with the details of who installed your product to make sure that your warranty is valid. So, bear that in mind. It's very, very important. Safety of appliances is something you touched on. Um, We we do sell our inverters with our surge protection range. Um, So interesting, regulation does, uh, we need to have surge protection devices at least class two on the input of our inverters. The output needs to be connected to earth leakage. That's what the regulation requires now. So that's another safety factor that's built in. And then of course you can use our retail range of surge protection devices um, to protect your devices if your inverter for some reason, causes a voltage spike on the output. Um, there's a 20,000 Rand warranty if something does happen. So please don't try to provoke it. But there is a, uh, uh, you know, don't provoke your inverter to pop something. But um, there is a warranty um, if you use those on the output. And so we sell them as part of our solution as well for the okay. added protection and people.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting what you say about a, a COC. I mean, um, you've, you've got to have COCs uh, for various um, a- aspects. I think of electric- your electrical installation. If you've got, uh, if you've got a gas stove at home, for example, you've got to have a COC. Um, do you? What are the regulations state around this in South Africa at the moment? If you get a solar installation done, are you required by law to have a COC? And then when you sell your house, are you required to update that COC?
1: Uh, so the uh, the new sands regulations are starting to come in play now, which is quite nice. So in the past there was no uh, there were no real, um, you know, you made a a note on your COC that you complete and just basically said this part of the installation pertains to the solar installation, and I tested that it isn't going to explode. That's basically okay. Basically what it said um, in very very layman terms. Sorry about that. <laughs> but yeah, so. Uh, So, but but now we do see that SANS-10142 has started to actually um, regulate what these guys are installing, how it's being installed. Um, And it's it's finally starting to see different uh, regulations that are are starting to come into your COC. So, it's definitely in the developmental phase, um, and and the COC is going to be protecting you a lot lot more um, in terms of compliance to the solar regulations which are being completed as we speak.
0: Now you must, uh, Tian, you must have been involved in um, a a number of very interesting uh, client installations over the years. Um, What are some of the more memorable ones that you've done? And have you you had instances where homeowners have asked you to take them completely off the national grid?
1: We've got several of those, yes. So um, if you look at the pictures behind me here, they're not stock items or stock images. They all are systems. And... um, there's just a few of them. There's there's physically hundreds more. But um so basically yeah, we've we've had a few very interesting instances. We've got people who've got very good ideas and very interesting ideas. Um our personal largest system, which is almost uh, well, if they if they manage their consumption a bit better, they'll be off-grid completely, is actually a, a large um automotive um dealers, dealership in Northwest. That's okay. a nice big sixty watt system, battery-based, and so um we have, we've got a diesel generator integrated in there, so you know we got a phone call from the, from a customer a few days ago and he said, listen, uh, he was working, he heard the generator start up and then two hours later the generator switched off and he couldn't figure out what was going on until he tried to go to the shops and found out that the whole town's power had been off for a few hours the day already, okay. and so we're definitely in a situation where businesses can actually run autonomously. We've got a lot of off-grid situations, a lot of installations in Botswana and has got a lot of, of uh, installations that have been done by a branch up there. And so, yes, there's a lot of um, potential. We've been involved with a lot of exciting projects and, and it's, a, it's a definitely a lovely industry to be working in.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. But if, if a hu- household wants to go entirely off grid, is there typically enough space on the roof to put in sufficient solar panels to allow for that?
1: That's a very good question. So uh, we, we do see in many cases that you, that you do struggle to fit all the panels on. Mm. Uh, but there are alternative options to try and get that sorted out. So in short, the answer would be if you don't have enough northward-facing or north-orientated roof space, you know, get multiple MPPTs and, and fill more roof spaces. So that's, that's an easy answer to that. So you um, get so multiple what? Uh, multiple MPPTs, yeah. yeah. What is so that? So what you can... Right, so MPPT is a, is a multiple PowerPoint tracker basically what you use to regulate the power from your solar power into a battery bank. And the only rule when it comes to MPPTs, or one of the main rules at least, is that all the panels connected to that MPPT need to be on the same orientation and tilt. And in that way, you can have panels orientated. Well, take this picture behind me now. Oh, sorry, this side. And you've got east, west, and north there. Those are three different MPPTs operating on the same system. Mm-hmm. And so, there are many, many ways that you can use to get different orientations out of difficult roofs. Um, we've got products available where you can physically place a panel east and a panel west um, on the same unit and it will um, mm-hmm. integrate them seamlessly. So, that there are ways of getting around it. In general, the roof space is an issue. We do a lot of ground mount systems um where you basically build your own little power station you know under the panels you put your inverter your batteries and everything and you just run from there so there's a lot of different ways to approach it um Mm -hmm. we consult uh, we we consult throughout the process to see what the best method is but your roof space does tend to be an issue in some cases
0: yeah you make an interesting point there in south africa we tend to have um historically have tended to have large gardens um so i suppose there is plenty of space provided they aren't trees blocking the sunlight uh, for you to put in some, some yes. sort of solution on the gr- on poles on the ground facing north and uh, do it that way.
1: Correct, yeah. We've had a few situations where we've done that. It works very, very nicely. Everything is centralized. And so you've got your own, got your own little mini power station um, that you can run from there. So it, it works very, very nicely to do that, to take that method into account. We've done that in the past as well.
0: Now it sounds like uh, i was going to ask uh, what, what the limitations are of what you can do in terms of what you can do with um with early solar solutions but it sounds like you guys can pretty much do all of it
1: <laughs> yeah well yeah that's that's what we're trying to achieve at least so um the whole thing is about come uh, the whole thing is about proper communication and proper planning yeah so if you come to us with a with a need or with something that you want to achieve share it with us and we can we can. You know we can apply our minds with you we can build the process with you We can walk the journey with you and eventually get to where you need to be um you know you can start so small now you can start with with one battery and and you know you're going to need five in the end of the day but mm-hmm. you can start with one and we'll, we'll guide you through that process um, throughout you know it's something that that i think not many other suppliers are willing to do you know it's very easy to sell and run um, it's something that we've seen in the markets a lot as well you know these fly by nights guys come mm-hmm. along they put up a system and then when something goes wrong, you, you can't even find their the addresses or their PO boxes in many cases. And so um, it's very important to, to get someone who's reputable, who has an address in your town, you know, or nearby at least, that you can go to and 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 discuss these these hopes and aspirations with, because you know they become our dreams and aspirations as well, and we build it with you. For us, it's just as important to see you off the grid and happy as it is, you know, for yourself to see you it its It's what makes it so much fun at the moment.
0: Yeah. yeah. You're based in, in Bloemfontein, but you you mentioned to me before we started recording today that you travel all over the country. Um, Elise, uh, I know it's a national business. Do you have representation across the country? Can you do a solar installation in a small town, for example?
1: Definitely, yes. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give you, uh, uh, we've got 22 trading locations across the country. Um, These include trade counters and branches such as the Bloemfontein branch where I'm located. Now from each of these locations, we've got experts in each of them that can guide you through the process. But for us, which is something we pride ourselves in a lot, is taking hands with your local installer. So it doesn't help for me sitting in Bloemfontein and you sitting in a place like Christiana or Freiburg or whatever the case may be, which is four hours drive from me, and me selling you a product without having someone there going can check out if it's, if, it's, if, you know, if it's a simple product to fix or whatever the case may be. So we take hands with whoever the installer is in the area, we train them, we empower them, we show them our system, and eventually you've got local support in each and every little town. Um, I don't have my maps behind me in this uh, particular space in the office, but we've got a, a map where we pin each installer across our region. And um, I've, I've got to say, we, we're quite well represented. We can, we can reach you within two or three hours in, in most areas of the
0: country. Right. Right, good stuff. Natiyan, before we before we wrap up today, I know, I know you've got some views on um, solar as being a key component of the so-called fourth industrial revolution, or four IR. Why is that?
1: Okay, so the fourth industrial revolution um, is something we've. It's a new term to myself. I've got to be honest. Um, I tend to live uh, as far as I can, you know, simply and off the off the internet and all of that type of things. But uh, there is a definite tendency in the fourth industrial revolution that's completely data driven you know the whole world is coming into your handheld devices you've got email you've got online shopping you've got ebooks and everything is running from your laptop or your tablet and um, we can hardly at the moment imagine not having these things you know you can't imagine not being able to go on the internet quickly and check a spec or Um, quickly check a user guide or quickly check what's happening on the TV tonight or your Netflix preferences or whatever the case may be. And so what happens is the moment you take energy away from that, the moment you switch your handheld device off or the moment you lose your battery backup or whatever the case may be, you've got nothing. You sit there not knowing what to do with yourself. And so the the fourth industrial revolution, it's given us a lot of opportunity, but it's also created a lot of Need in terms of security of supply of your electricity, in terms of backup supply, and in terms of knowing that I'm not going to lose my connectivity, I'm not going to have a battery fail on me, I'm not going to have to worry about, you know, um, load shedding or whatever the case may be. And so at least fits into this perfectly. We've got a range of solutions from little power bank backups for your mm-hmm. Wi-Fi routers and fiber routers, all the way up to off-grid solutions for businesses, industries, your house, whatever the case may be. And so. Whatever your need is, we've got something that, that will allow you to still be part of this fourth, um, fourth uh, uh,
0: industry. Industrial revolution, I 4IR.
1: <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. Yes, thank you. <laughs>
0: Pleasure, Tian. It was a great discussion. Uh, really interesting uh, insights uh, shared there. I think uh, people who are considering going off grid are going to find this discussion very valuable. I look forward to uh, my own solar projects, embarking on that in due course, and uh, learning more about how the whole process works, and uh, hopefully paying a little please, less to. Please our give us a call. <laughs> I'll do that. Um, <laughs> less and hopefully, as I was, I was about to say, pa- paying less to our national utility, which is always a. A good thing if you're saving money right and uh, i think at the end of the day it's not only convenience and uh, the ability to have power when the electricity goes out but uh, also that uh, ultimately you're going to achieve a return on your investment and actually save some money down the track so it's a bit of a no-brainer in that respect as well but uh, Tian van exactly. der is commercial division manager Bloemfontein at Ellies. thanks so much for talking to tech central today
1: much appreciated again thank you very much for your time